All right, Home College. All right, Home College. It's my great privilege right now to introduce my friend, Tina Hockenhole from the east side in Detroit. She is a freshman studying chemistry, and she's going to be reading the prologue, John 1, 1 through 18, from the King James. Hear the word of the Lord from the book we love, the bush that burns and is never consumed. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's give to you some love. Thank you. Thanks, Tia. That is the prologue of John, the first 18 verses of the fourth gospel. If you've been traveling with us at the gathering, you know that this is where we have been living in all semester. And I love the prologue. When I enter into the space, its words bend my reason back into its original shape. When I'm inside of the prologue, I have the permission to see that the scope of Christianity and all of its consequences have a universal concern. And yet, at the same time, it has a particular focus in the local. I love the prologue. It pulls me in and undresses my desire that really what I'm after is life with God. And when I'm inside of the prologue, I'm also reminded of the connection to my Christian calling. It's a calling that we both share, all of us together. You and I have a calling, and it has nothing to do with your major. It has nothing to do with how you're going to make money. Those are all fair and important things. They're not insignificant. But what I'm saying to you is when I'm inside of the prologue, I'm reminded of something that you and I share together. We have a calling from the living God that needs to mark our life in everything that we do. So no matter what our major or what we do to make a living, our calling will mark how we do it and how we enter this world. You and I are called simply to be a witness. A witness. That's your calling in your own particular way, with your own particular gifts, in your own particular location. God is calling you, God is calling me, God is calling us to be a witness. 
to tell the truth, to point people in the right direction. To be a witness is our calling, but a witness of what? To be a witness of Jesus Christ. Well, what does it look like to be a witness, my friends? What are the marks of that witness? Is there anywhere we can go to find the illustration of what this can mean for our lives, you and me in this shared calling? When I'm inside the prologue, I find it in these chapters from 6 verse 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a picture for us, a model for us, an inspiration for us of what it means to be a Christian witness. John the Baptist, as you know, was a Jewish itinerant preacher. His ministry spanned probably the time about 28 to 36 AD. He was a wild-eyed, wild-haired, ruly, locust-eating, honey-eating, scarcely-dressed prophet out in the wilderness. Many scholars think that he was a, uh, of a sect called the Essenes. The Essenes lived out far from Jerusalem, they lived out in the desert, and their ministry was marked by the prediction that the Messiah was to come, a call to the repentance of sins through baptism, which is really Mark's, John the Baptist, how, it's how he got his name, his ministry. John would go out into the wilderness, and he would call out for the repentance of sin. The Essenes, John, took sin really seriously meaning that they thought it was something you should turn away from. You should take seriously enough not to ignore it in your life because to ignore it would have severe and eternal consequence. He was calling people always, always, always back to God through baptism. Now, John was a big deal. All four Gospels mention John. The Islamic faith considers John the Baptist a prophet and a saint, John the Baptist had a, a, a huge reputation. People from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away would journey in pilgrimage just to hear the message, repent and be baptized. He was the biggest deal of the biggest deals that you could imagine. He was the rock star of the preachers and the prophets. He was the one you wanted to know and to be known by. John the Baptist was a huge ministry deal. And yet, and yet he was marked by this calling to be a witness. Many people thought that John the Baptist was the Messiah. That's partly why they were traveling out to see him, to get his attention. They thought that John the Baptist was the man. He was either the reincarnation of Elijah, but, or he was the Messiah, the one who was going to come to put the world to rights. He was the one that Israel was waiting for. But John the Baptist knew he wasn't that. The Gospel of John, the prologue, says it this way. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light. He himself was not the light, but came to testify to the light. They wondered if he was the Messiah, but he knew that he wasn't. He was merely a witness 
to the Messiah. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. He was a witness. And his witness, I think, informs us of how we should be a witness together in our lives. And I think when we look at the life of John, there are at least four marks of being a witness that I think are important. The first is that John had a particular focus. And what I mean by that is that John's focus and attention was never on himself. John's message again and again and again got the attention off of himself and onto another, namely Jesus. Friends, that is the mark of a witness, having the focus not on yourself. I mean, it sounds easy, I know. But we live in a time and a place and in a culture that invites us to make everything about ourselves. But the freedom of being a Christian is the freedom from yourself, to die to yourself. I love how A.W. Tozer in the book, The Pursuit of Holiness, talks about being a disciple kind of like an eye. A disciple never, an eye is always looking outward, but never sees itself unless it's in a mirror. But you never actually see your own eyes, right? You're always looking out. That's the focus of a witness. We are always looking outward. Everything about our life together needs to be focused outward on Christ and on each other. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our attention, our energy is all focused on another. What does that actually kind of look like? One of my favorite pictures of what being um, uh, a witness in the, of, in the line of John the Baptist is by this German painter. I think it's German. You can correct me later. It's German. Thank you. Mat, uh, Matthias um, Grunwald. Did I say that okay? Okay, I got a professor who's an art historian, so I'm feeling all kinds of insecurity right now as I share this. But this painting... Um, by Matthias Grunewald is called simply the Crucifixion. It was, uh, he lived between 1814, uh, uh, 80 and 1528. A marvelous painting. It uh, was painted for the hospital chap chapel of St. Anthony's mo uh, Monastery. It was a monastery that was taking people in from this very painful uh, skin disease. And you can see all over Jesus' body that's represented this skin. You can see um, Jesus' mother, Mary, held by John, the beloved disciple. Mary Magdalene praying to God. But here, here we have John the Baptist. Gives us a picture of what being a witness looks like. John the Baptist in the background in Latin says he must increase I must decrease. John has these long, elongated fingers that are pointing not at himself, but to another, namely Jesus, with the word of God open. This is the picture of a witness. We are all called out of who you are, with your own gifts in your own particular place, to point not to ourselves, but namely to Jesus. 
It's that simple. And it's that complex. Our calling is to point people to Jesus. Karl Barth, one of the 20th century's leading theologians, this was his favorite image, and he kept this image over his desk, over all of his writings. He wrote volumes and volumes of theology because he believed that this picture was what a true Christian was supposed to do, was always to be pointing other people to Jesus. That's our calling. Whatever your major is and whatever you're gonna, God's going to call you to do in this world, wherever you go and whoever you're with, remember just this simple invitation to get the attention off of yourself and find a way to point people to Jesus, to the crucified Christ. The first mark of a witness is to have your focus not on yourself but on God. But the second mark is characterized by a deep spiritual humility. I think this is one of the virtues that is most lost in our world today. Everything is celebrated if you have the ego, if you win the game, if you're exceptional, if you're special. Humility is not the thing we celebrate at the awards ceremony. We celebrate the achievements, the conquerors, the winners. I think of John the Baptist and I think about how tempting it must have been for him with all of those people traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles just to hear his voice. They loved him. He was the spiritual buzz that was going on. And how easy it must have been for him to believe that it had something to do with him, that he was special. He was called. There's nothing easier in the Christian life than self-deception, particularly when you believe that you have been called, like I'm suggesting that you are. You are called. But the underbelly of that, the temptation from the evil one, is to believe that that has something to do with our ability and our skill. Evil is not a separate thing. It's not a, a separate entity. Evil is a good thing twisted in on itself. We can take a calling, and we can subtly make it about ourselves. And you see this in the Christian church all the time. A good ministry blows up, and all of a sudden it starts to become about the church and about the preacher and about the things that are going on. Beware of the ministry that begins with someone's name other than Jesus. Beware of the preacher whose sermon is about anything but God in the scriptures. Beware of the community that is refusing to die to themselves, but always promoting themselves. That is not the mark of a witness. The mark of a witness is always humble. John the Baptist says he must increase, he, Jesus, and I must decrease. He says that there is one among you whom you do not know, but whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John the Baptist never had the belief that it was about him. He always had his focus on Jesus, but that focus was rooted to a deep spiritual humility. And it's so countercultural today. We need to nurture that in our lives. Here at Hope College, in our relationships, 
in our churches not to be proud. We are all responders of what God has done. It's nothing we have done and accomplished. The mark of a Christian witness is one of humility. We need symbols sometimes to help us remember that in our lives. Sometimes we, we wear a cross, wear it around our neck on a chain. Sometimes we put a bumper sticker on the back of our cars. Sometimes we tattoo a verse or a saying into our flesh so that it reminds us. I'm somebody who, uh, if you come into my study, I have lots of different symbols going on to remind me of different things. Just about everything in my study has some kind of meaning. So if you come visit me, ask what something is, and I'll tell you a story. For example, if you, if you, ever, notice my, if you ever notice my pens, I like pens. I like a good pen. The only a couple reasons that you, um, I might get really upset during the day is if somebody, uh, if the coffee is out, that's, that, 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 that's fireable. If, if, um, if you steal and lie, that, that's fireable. Um, if you hand me a really cheap pen, it might be fireable. I hate cheap pens, I hate them. Partly because I have a belief in excellence and I believe that craftsmanship should be invested in everything that we do. In a market economy, there's a supply and demand and if we actually, um, yeah, now I'm just getting into it. Um, if we actually um, buy excellent things, the market will then produce excellent things. But if we just buy cheap things, you know what the market does? It makes cheap things and it actually hurts the environment. I actually think that we have a moral ethic to invest in quality things like pens. Yeah. So don't, don't, please don't hand me a cheap pen. I do not, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I won't hold it. But it also reminds me of my mom. See, every Christmas, my mom buys me a pen. And so when I come in, it's situated right when I come in, and I just see my mom, Mother Arlene, she bought me a pen. She'll travel someplace, and she'll go to some knick-knack store, and she'll just pick up a pen for me. And at Christmas, I get it. And so I've got this collection of these pens, and it reminds me of its ethic. Don't buy cheap things. But it also reminds me of my mom, who never whoever never treated me cheaply and always loved me. I love that. You might come into my study and you, you might see this helmet. Um, this is my Grandpa Louie's uh, logging hat. He wore it when I was a little boy. He would take me to the pole yard and this is the hat he would wear. Everyone called him the Swede, which was kind, he was Norwegian so they were making fun of him. But in my memory, he was six foot three and his shoulders were as broad as the Cascade Mountains that he would lumber and he was a gentle soul, and I re he was a worker. He had a, just barely a high school education, never went to college, but he was a faithful man. He loved his family. From the time he got up to the time he went to bed, he was tireless. And I keep that helmet to remind me where I'm from, who I'm from, and also an ethic to work hard and do your best and to be honest. If you come into my study, you, you might see this poster of Lou Gehrig, and this is my picture that I remind myself of what it looks like to be humble, a humble witness. It was given to me by my academic advisor before I went, in my undergrad, before I went to grad school um, in St. Andrews. Uh, I am not a Yankee fan. I, I, wanna, I want this to be clear out on the internet. 
If you're listening to this, I am not part of a fascist system. I'm not. But I am absolutely a Lou Gehrig fan. This hung, if there's a New York for, I just probably just totally offended you. I'm totally sorry. Um, I don't think you should steal signs, and I don't think you should buy wins by just paying more money. Anyway, I think Lou Gehrig, for me, is the symbol of this humility. Uh, on the back of it, my advisor wrote, um, to the reading and writing of books, there's no end. Don't forget to play catch. It reminds me of, of, of somebody who nurtured me intellectually. But also, my advisor, Michael Kugler, knew that I was a Lou Gehrig fan. And this hung in his office, and he gave it to me as a gift, as a parting gift. Lou Gehrig batted behind Babe Ruth, the biggest personality in baseball. From 1925 to about 1937, 38, there was about five, six World Series championships that they won. And Lou Gehrig was the heart and soul of all of that. Babe Ruth got all the glory and all the fame. And then there was the Iron Horse, who played 2,130 straight baseball games, never called attention to himself, played the game the way it was supposed to be played, hit and run, a sack fly. Whatever it took, he played the game in order that the game would be respected and the game would win. And it, this picture reminds me, that's how I want to be a pastor, to play my position well. Don't call attention to yourself. It's not about you. That's the humility that John the Baptist reminds us of. You might have a different kind of symbol in your life, but whatever that is, pull it out often so that you might see you might see and remember a humility. To remind yourself daily. Sometimes I just have to remind myself that Lou is over my shoulder. And sometimes it I'm really serious about it. I'm just working really hard. I got, my, I, got, I got my Grandpa Johnson channeled. I'm just working. Sometimes I'm really thinking and I'm trying to work through a problem. But there's Lou just whispering. Just play your position well. Sometimes I'm really shocked. I don't know what's going on. But always, always there's Lou just playing his position, just humbly doing his job. That's us. That's our calling. It's nothing fancy. Just go out every day, put your lunch pail under your arm, and play your position. Do what you're called to do in such a way that you're freed from yourself. That's the mark of a Christian witness. I love how C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Right? Humility doesn't mean that you, you are bad or you, you're irrelevant. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. It goes back to having that focus off of yourself. The mark of a Christian witness is one that has the focus on God. It has marked by a deep humility but it's also marked by a cost. It's not easy to be a witness, and you need to know that. The Greek word for witness is actually the word for martyr, and for probably the first 300, 400 years of the Christian church's life, it was marked by being a witness, and by being a witness meant that you might die. And in many places in the world today, that still marks the Christian church. To be a Christian witness has a cost. We all want to be liked, and we all want to fit in. We all want to do things that, don't, that, that are fun, and there are times 
sometimes, even here at Hope College, when we need to stand out, we need not to fit in. We need to be about something else. Not in a judgmental way, not in a self-righteous way, but out of a commitment to being faithful to our Savior and our Lord. And when you do that, sometimes people might ignore you or malign your reputation. Hear these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you or persecute you or say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. To be a Christian witness doesn't always mean that it's safe or that we fit in. It will have a cost. For John the Baptist, it cost him his very life. He challenged Herod, who had married his brother's wife, Herodias. And after uh, Herod said, I'll give you anything you want, she said, I want John's head on a platter. And so he gave it to her. For you, it may not be that dramatic. But maybe it's not showing up at an event that would compromise your integrity. Maybe it's saying something when um, somebody has done something you know is wrong. Saying it with love, but saying it nonetheless. To be a witness has a cost. There's humility in it. It has the focus on God and not on ourselves, but it does call us to step in and to embrace that our faith may not always be easy. To be a witness has a focus on God. It has a deep humility. There is a cost, but it's absolutely shaped by our faith. A faith not in ourselves, but in God. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, pointed away from himself and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was able to endure cost. He had a deep humility because he knew that he couldn't save anyone. It is God who shows up. It is God who saves. What his faith was in God's very promise for this world. He went out and preached to people not about himself, but about a living God who is going to show up and actually save us from that which separates us from God. John again and again and again was driven by a witness connected to a deep faith in who God was. The goal of our lives are not to be successful in the ways the world thinks it's successful. The goal of our life is to be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. And that success is rooted in a deep faith, not in our own powers or popularity or our ministries, but in God. The goal isn't to make Hope College known here. I think our goal should be for Hope College to make God known. The witness of disciple has faith not in the outcome of a benefit, but in the benefit of the God who is our outcome. We are called to be a people who are deeply faithful. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light. He himself was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. 
John was not the light, and neither are you. But we get to point people to the light. We get to participate in that light. And through the mystery and power of the Holy Spirit, we have communion with him. And in that communion, we are sent out in our own particular place with our own particular gifts to embrace a calling, to be a witness. Friends, that's your call. That's your purpose. Wherever God is going to lead you, north, south, east, or west, whatever your major, whatever relationship you're in, you are called to be a witness. And so if you're ever wondering, What's, what am I supposed to do in my life? Remember this sermon. You are called to get the attention off of yourself. You're called to be humble. You're called to embrace the cost, and you're called by a deep faith in a living God who will never let you go. Amen? Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for the good news that you are a God who is light and who shows up. We also thank you for the good news that we don't have to be the light. We don't have to save the world. We merely need to point to you and orient our life around your wisdom and your truth. And in that truth, Lord, may we discover the deepest truth that we belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death, to you, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us the heart and the courage to be a witness to you now and always. And all the people said, amen.